All right. Jasmine, do you want to start us with reading Mark 7, 31 through 37? I thought you'd never ask. Okay. <laughs> Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and spat, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Mm -hmm. Woohoo. Okay, Very so good. how did Jesus deal with this man? You want to comment on what? Well, I love this, because he didn't make a spectacle. Yes. Of this man. Yeah. You know, I, I think about, you know, some people that are known as healers mm -hmm. and how they have these huge healing services. And, you know, one in particular who would wave his jacket around and it would become such a spectacle. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that exploits the people. Yeah. And this, Jesus will not exploit the individual. And, he, and then I love this, that he takes him um, and he leads him away from all the people, and he um, then he sighs deeply. And I was reading. Yes. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go. Let's talk about sighing. I love this. <laughs> I know we do. That it's an emotional connection. Mm. That it's an emotional connection. As he sighs, he's just like, oh. You know, he's, he's sensing this man's, um, how, how hard his life has been. Yes. And his need. But then also he makes a physical connection in that he brings his fluid to this man. And I was thinking in the fluid, in the spit, I hate to say this, but this is your bio lesson, is blood. Yeah. There's blood, actually, and that's why they can do your DNA through your spit. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus is giving his DNA to this man. And it's in this that the man is is healed and he speaks. So you've got like this, you've got this emotional, you've got this physical, and you've got the word being spoken over him, yeah. which I think is so amazing. Yeah, and that was what the, the sign stood out to me as well because I went and geeked out and looked at the Greek for that. And yeah. it was really cool because it's the same word used in Romans 8 when it talks about we're groaning with creation. Did you see that too? Like we're mm -hmm. groaning for the redemption of our mortal bodies. And just thinking like, man, like Jesus is groaning over the condition of the fall. And here he is, like you said, intimately, like healing, like he created this man. And then to go and restore what the fall has ripped off from this, you know, from this man and all of these people that he was healing to go and fully restore that as the creator. I was like, whoa, this is just a very intimate. And how relational, right? Yeah. How relational. Because I've been praying for my grandkids because it's easy to be raised in church mm. and miss the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I was, which I was watching one of my true crime shows. And in this true crime show, I mean, there's this like couple and he's been married three times. She's been married. This is her second and they're having an affair. And um, he ends up killing her, of course. And uh, it's true crime. Of course. Uh, and it's a true story, but they were both in the church. And that his whole motivation for doing well was like, well, the church we need to do it for the church. The church is watching. And I'm thinking, here are these people who have been in church all their lives. They were even um, coaches at a Christian school and yet missed the whole idea of relationship. It was all, hello, Allison. It was all about, it was all about the church and never about the relationship. And I, I think about how Jesus wants relationship, not through another mediator, yeah. but you know, this relationship, this direct, right? And I have one more thing about the sigh that I saw. You know how you were saying in Romans, that word sigh. So Romans um, 8.26, where it says, the spirit himself makes intercessions with us with, with sighs or groanings, like you said. So Jesus is interceding. And I saw it a little bit differently, like that that sigh was him interceding and praying for that. And that is more of that relationship of how he... Um, his intercession for us is that relationship that he has for us, that sighing, that intercession, mm -hmm. things that can't be spoken. 
so sweet. And we're gonna, mm -hmm. we're gonna, we're gonna get another sigh a little bit later in chapter eight, which will be good. Sorry, and also too, because that happens later in chapter eight where he takes the person aside. Yes. And I loved that because it was like you were saying, he didn't make a spectacle. And I was like, he gave these people dignity, the dignity of I'm going to just treat you as a person, not as like something to promote myself, like right. a platform to jump right. off. So Right, and I not a project. That. Yes, you're not a project. You are a person that I care about. It's so yeah. cool. You know, um, this has special relevance to me because one of my son's uh, grandsons was born with apraxia. And so he couldn't talk. He just couldn't talk. And everything was Lala. No matter what it was with the airplane or that was Lala. And we'd have to try to interpret what he was saying. And so Kristen took him to a, a speech therapist. And um, it was so funny because they were trying to get him to sing Row, Row, Row Your Boat to see if he could, you know, they were testing him. And he couldn't do that song, but he could do Only a Boy Named David. But he acted it out like, ooh, <laughs> Ooh, that's a giant dying and getting hit by a sling. And Kristen's like, oh my goodness, what are these people going to think about us? <laughs> Later when they, they came back, they said he's highly intelligent, he's highly manipulative, um, <laughs> and we know this song because we're all Christians, only a boy named David. Kristen was like, oh, thank you. But anyway, they were, they were saying though, um, uh, you know, they worked with him. But I used to pray this, Lord, put your fingers in his ears mm. and loose his tongue and speak. You know, I would do that very, um, that very same word, you know, Ephatha. Mm. You know, Lord, just loose it. And, you know, I really believe that the Lord did. He speaks. In fact, sometimes, like one of the first sentences he said is this one man, we were at a shoe store, and he said um, to me, um, and Kristen, he said, oh, my goodness, you're the mother? You look so young. And, of course, I'm totally flattered. And Ryder looks at her and goes, what are you, tubit or tempting? Oh <laughs> and the interpretation is, what are you, stupid or something? I mean, to think that my grandmother was the sister of my mom, you know, you must be stupid. And Kristen's like going, and here we prayed that he would speak clearly. <laughs> Those out. You know, one other thing when we get to this last verse, yeah. where they're extremely astonished. And one of the reasons they're astonished is because of Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's when they know of the Messiah, that he will open the eyes of the blind. It says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Mm -hmm. So they're equating these signs because nobody has ever done this before. Mm -hmm. you, you don't have anyone in the Old Testament being healed um, and able to hear or able to see, word. right? Wow. But Isaiah tells us, this is how you will know your Messiah. Mm -hmm. So they're looking and going, oh, wait a minute. It's yeah. a prophetic do, 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 do. Right. to unstop fits to show that it's the prophetic fulfillment. Even the fact that he says, you, you know, I love that he has done all things well. Mm -hmm. I think about that all the time when, with different things in my life. I'm like, wait a second, what, you know, circumstances? And just be like, no, Jesus does all things well. I mean, he's going to see it through to a good end, whatever it looks like. Okay, so, yes. In the Septuagint, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation, right? In Genesis 1.31, when God looks over all his creation and pronounces that it's all good, same word. Ooh. <coughs> it's same good. phrase. He's done all things well. So anyway, done all things well echoes Septuagint. God saw all he made was very good indeed. So what they're saying is he has made all things very good indeed. And so for personal application, if he goes beyond our expectation. Mm -hmm. He's able to even do this, whatever that this is in your life. He is able to do even <coughs> this. That's good. I'm so sorry. Um, I get post-nasal drip in the morning sometimes. This is like John Wang's issue so with the allergies. Honest, We're just, just so yeah. honest. This cool. isn't anything. Yeah. I wanted to share my, um, my takeaway for the day too was something we haven't talked about yet today was verse 33 where, um, I think it was, no, the, verse 32, where the people that brought him 
He had friends that brought him to Jesus and they begged him. And so I think of Jesus interceding with that sighing and then the friends are doing that same thing. They're interceding on behalf of their friend Mm -hmm. and bringing their friend to Jesus. And it even reminds me of the way you prayed for your grandson. It's like we can bring people to Jesus through intercession. And And in doing so, Mm -hmm. we're cooperating with Jesus. We're working with Jesus Mm -hmm. for this person for Mm -hmm. that healing. That's excellent, Angie. I like that. Yes, it does. I like that. Do you guys have anything else before we move to the next day? No. Good. Okay, we're going to move We probably should. I know. (laughs) Let's move to day 38. Anybody who's following along. And Mark chapter 8, 1 through 10. Cheryl, would you mind reading that? I would love to. I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. In those days, there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. He called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, and some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? How many many loaves do you have? He asked them. Seven, they said. Isn't that naughty? They wanted to keep it to themselves. He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. Taking seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples and set them before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he said these were to be served as well. They ate and were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces, About 4,000 were there. He dismissed them and immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. There is so much. I know. Let's just start with (laughs) Jesus' attitude. What do you guys see there about his attitude? Uh, Drawing the disciples' attention to a need and just, you know, the compassion, of course, again. Like, Mm -hmm. this is the greater thing right now is to care um, about the people. Okay, and that word compassion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I it love that. It means to feel yeah. it in your, in your um, sorry, but your bowels. Yeah, to like like almost, the sigh again. Yes, to be bent yeah. over, to care so much. Mm. I mean, to care desperately. Yeah. And then I love that he knows the condition of these people. He knows yes. where they have come from. Mm-hmm. He knows their physical need. They're hungry. He knows that they're weak. Mm-hmm. He knows that if they try to go on without food. Mm-hmm. They'll collapse. And I was wondering, actually, because, <clears throat> you know, obviously you can compare the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And in this instance, it seems like there weren't any towns or villages nearby. Because before he said, sent, the disciples had sent him to the villages. So I'm assuming, is this more deserted? It seems like it, because it says desolate. Yeah. yeah. So it just, it's like, oh, a slightly yes. different setting here, like even yes. more desperate than the last time. Well, yes. and interestingly, the last time he asked them, like, what can you find, sent them out to the crowd, but this time he required it of them. He wanted to know it was their turn to give of themselves and what they had. You know, there's a story that corresponds in the Old Testament in um, 2 Kings. And you've you've got that? I know, yes. Okay, (laughs) what's the... um, It's 2 Kings 4, Mm -hmm. 2 through 7, Mm -hmm. the story of the widow. No. Is that the one you were thinking about? No, 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 no. Oh. I'm I'm thinking about the story... um, there's a man who comes to Elijah and he gives him um, loaves of bread. Okay. And Elijah says, Elisha, Elisha says, okay, to his disciples, give this to all the people. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, if we give it to the people and those who are hungry, there won't be enough for us. Mm-hmm. And Elisha says, you give it away and there will be more than enough. Mm-hmm. And so as they give it away, they find that there's more than enough bread to even satisfy them. And so it speaks to me of giving even the little that we have, even that which does not seem enough, if we give it to the Lord. And I know every Sunday we do the open hand thing with Jordan. And the Lord spoke to me about the open hands. And it's not only what the Lord takes, but he takes that he might give back more. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so when we get the seven loaves, not only do we receive satisfaction, exactly. but others are fed. And I, I really believe that this bread that Jesus does is so tasty that it satisfies, because that word means like a full satisfaction, not just um, a cessation of hunger, but just it just 
the taste buds and everything. I remember like when I was at the hospital, I, they wouldn't let me eat any food, so I'm craving saltines. And Brian's like, Cheryl, you're putting a lot more credit to saltines than saltines have. You know, <laughs> saltines are not that good. And so I came home and I got that saltine because the nurse told me I could only have one. And so I'm like gonna eat my saltine as slowly as possible. And I remember it tasted so good. I'm like, saltines oh are awesome. You know, and I was just like, mm. you know, just like, I just, you know, and then when the next day when I got to have two saltines, and I was thinking about when that thing that you're craving, and then when I finally got to eat a hamburger, like the bite of that hamburger was like, oh, this Why? is like, yes. You're in the throne room. I'm in the throne room. <laughs> but you know, when you eat that thing mm -hmm. that just, just, just satisfies your taste buds, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, Man, I never knew there was anything on earth that tasted this good. And that's how, that's how this bread tasted once it was touched by Jesus. One more thing. The um, Magdala, where Mary Magdalene came from, was um, a, um, it had like a, a factory. And an ancient factory where they dried fish. And the fish that came from Magdala and was dried in Magdala was so famous Oh. that it went all over the world and was even a delicacy in Rome. Oh, wow. And it was exported, and it was a famous export. And there, if you go to Magdala, you can see the ruins of that ancient fish-drying factory. Mm. And it is thought that Zebedee, uh, John and Jane's father, actually maybe owned that factory. And that's why James had access to the high priest. Because Whoa. it was yeah. through this dried fish. Fun mm. fact. Yes, Whoa. fun fact. A lot of fun facts. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, do you have something you want to share? Well, I was just thinking, <clears throat> too, like just the... Yeah, because sometimes, obviously, we look at, like, the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 and, like, okay, what's the, you know, point or what were they thinking? Why couldn't they, you know, realize that Jesus would do the same thing and all of that? Yes. But I was just noticing the progression in, I think, their faith and, the, and Jesus. And we've talked about this and before. Revelation. How Jesus, yes, how Jesus was revealing more of himself to them. Mm -hmm. And just thinking about, like, because before it was like they took the loaves and fish from the boy. Now they have to provide it themselves. Yeah. Like how Jesus was taking them, you know, from faith to faith and growing in that. And um, I remembered a quote. I didn't write the quote verbatim from Isabel Kuhn, but she was talking about this. Isabel Kuhn, the missionary, you should listen to our podcast and you'll learn all about her. But um, <laughs> just she said something about that, how the Lord was showing her, like, as she grew in her relationship with the Lord, he was moving her from like loud megaphone direction to the still small voice. Yeah. And like how he does that with us. And, and as we're growing in him, like he's, he's leading us into that place where we're able to just see his least move, uh, movement or indication and follow and be yielded to his spirit in greater measure. Yeah, how he's growing us in I our have, faith. I have another thought too is um, years ago, I was playing basketball and I made a three-point shot. And I remember the, the coach gave me the basketball again. And he said, if you make it a second time, then you can do this. Mm. He said, if you don't do it a second time, then it was just a one-off. And I missed. Oh! It was a one-off. It was a fluke. But Jesus is showing them that the feeding yeah. is not a fluke. Right. right? And That's the thing good. I saw, too, is it's not dependent on them. Right. Yes. So many times we take matters into our own hands and we feel like, okay, I've got to provide the bread. I've got mm. to do this. But and just we're going to see that in yeah. the next story. Yeah. yeah. Looking yeah. at the fact that we can trust God with the resources we have and that it's going to be enough because it's not dependent on us. And when yeah. we get to the next story, too, mm -hmm. it's going to be that Jesus is like, they were supposed to see the sign. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to see more in that than just getting a satiation of hunger mm -hmm. or just the multitude meeting the need. And I'm thinking how sometimes we're not learning the lessons of our lives. Mm -hmm. We're just so like, okay, you know, it's done, it's over, I want to move on. But there's a lesson to be learned. True. And that's, True. we probably should go yeah, on. Let's go ahead and move on. Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21. And I'll go ahead and read that. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, 
seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply. Here we have a sigh again in his spirit. And he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them getting into the boat again. He departed for the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And he reasoned, they reasoned among themselves saying, it's because we have no bread. But Jesus being aware of it said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the 5,000 loaves or the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of fragments did we take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. And so he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? Um, I just have one comment mm -hmm. um, to which I found really interesting. Um, and you guys probably got this, but the difference between the baskets. Oh, yeah, I'd heard about that. Yeah, that, I read about that. That is two different words. And the first one means a basket. It denotes a basket. Uh, women always carry the baskets with them because they wanted to be able to, you know, shop. It's kind of like the way that we used to be, you know, have our own bags for a while. And, you, you know, I had uh, my bags in my purse that I would pull out. So women would just always have their baskets with them, sometimes men, because uh, this was the only way you could carry anything. If you found something or sometimes they would be carrying some of um, their own items in it that they needed. And so um, baskets is more individualized. Okay. But the, the first one you mean? Yes, the first 5, one, 000? the 12 baskets. Okay. But that, look at in verse 20, it says how many um, large, baskets. large baskets. And that word about the large baskets means hampers. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that would be more like a merchant would have. Mm -hmm. So there were probably merchants who had even maybe vendors there mm -hmm. who had earlier been able to give the people food they could mm -hmm. buy, mm -hmm. and now they were empty. And Jesus refills them. Mm. Fascinating. Huge it goes baskets. back to that word satisfied too and filled. Uh -huh. And that yep. nobody leaves empty. Mm -hmm. Nobody leaves mm -hmm. the presence of Jesus empty. Mm -hmm. And I love that too. But going on. Yes. So yes. good. <laughs> okay. So this one, we see that they're looking for a sign and they're not mm -hmm. trying to actually understand or follow Jesus, but they're testing him. Mm -hmm. And it's that same word that was um, used when Satan tempted Jesus mm -hmm. in the wilderness and, you know, trying to um, pull him away from what God's called him to. Mm -hmm. And uh, leaven we see here is a symbol of sin. Yeah. So do you guys have a Just comment on those things? Well, I think, I think leaven is also, because he says, beware the leaven of um, the Pharisees in Luke, which is hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. And it's pretending to be something in this case. So I think it, it, it's in general, it's about sin. But I think it also speaks specifically to a type of sin here, which is this hypocrisy. Like they act mm -hmm. like, oh, if you just give us a sign, we'll believe. And they won't. They're not going to believe no matter what. And that word sign means a cosmic phenomena. And so probably the cosmic phenomena that they're asking for is you wipe out the Romans mm -hmm. and give us our nationality. Yeah. You be the Messiah we want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jesus is the Messiah we need, mm -hmm. not necessarily the Messiah we want. Mm -hmm. Because the Messiah we want is a genie in a bottle. Yeah. And that keeps us in charge of everything. Yep. But the Messiah we need um, cannot be moved mm -hmm. by men um, uh, and by lust and by greed and by the temptations, like you were saying, of mm -hmm. Satan. The Messiah we need is a warrior. Mm -hmm. And he is always fighting sin and fighting death and fighting condemnation on our sake, right. for our sake. And that's and what we need. suffering Savior as well. Right, right. And I think too, because it, I mean, it's in the context of these signs. And so, and in Herod in Luke 23, wanted Jesus to come in to do a sign, for, like an entertainment. Yes. So it's almost like there's mm -hmm. that too. Do you want to see a sign like for entertainment or in a hypocrite, like you said, like the Pharisees but in a hypocritical way. I also think it's like the genie thing too. I mean, yeah. so many yeah, yeah, times yeah. Do what I want. we're yeah. upset with God because like, yeah. you know, 
you know, you didn't do what I wanted, and I asked you last Thursday, and you, you didn't do it. And I think that that's like, that's the genie in a bottle. Right. And that's not the savior we have. And, um, and like you said, he wants a magic sign. Mm-hmm. They want a cosmic phenomena. Yeah. But when you've got a genie in the bottle, you control it. Yeah. You tell it when to come out. You let it out when you want it. Mm-hmm. And you plug him back in there when you don't want him. Mm-hmm. And he only comes at your bidding. Right. And he does whatever you want. So who's in control? Cool. Who is Lord? Who's yeah. Lord of the genie? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And we are always trying to be Lord of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it says, who has been his counselor? Yeah. And, you know, I love it because Job's kind of like in the book of Job. God comes in and he says, were you there? Yeah. Were you at creation yeah. when I set everything in motion? Do you even know the laws of physics that govern the universe? Can you help the deer give birth? Do yeah. you know when our time is? Like, I'm so personally involved in my creation. And while you're doing your own thing and thinking you're so all that, as Charlie used to say, Mm -hmm. I'm making sure that the earth turns. I'm making sure it doesn't go off of its orbit. Mm -hmm. I'm making sure that the animal kingdom stays in balance, no matter how much pollution you throw at it. Mm -hmm. I'm still maintaining Mm -hmm. your life on earth. And not only that, but faith in signs in general yes. isn't healthy yes. because the Antichrist is going to perform signs That's and wonders. Right. I was reading right. that somewhere. So that even like, the elect will be deceived. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so if you're putting banking any kind of hope on that, I mean, of course, like these guys were being hypocritical in their request, but still, mm-hmm. I mean, those who seek a sign just for the sake of a sign right. are missing the point. Well, so. and in Matthew, this same passage is referenced, and he calls them an adulterous generation. Right. right? He says an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And in John, he says, blessed are those who have um, who have not seen and yet believed. So there's but, you faith. Know, I, I also like, again, going back to this sigh, that Jesus is not so much angry. I mean, mm-hmm. he doesn't just like, you know, he's grieved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's grieved because he's come in the fullness right. of God to bring them salvation, to bring them into the relationship with God mm-hmm. that they supposedly want. Everything that they're striving for, for mm-hmm. Jesus has come to give them mm-hmm. absolute forgiveness of sin. Then we see that part, that verse in here is your heart still hardened. He's mm-hmm. back to that focus on the heart. The mm-hmm. heart matters. Where our hearts at with the Lord matters yeah. and keeping it heart and I mean soft. And I see the whole thing of 11 too is the thought processes. Like we've talked about in past weeks, how we need to just keep away from that focus on religion and trying to reach God or like you're saying that genie in the bottle, but back to that relationship mm. that he's after. Yes, because I, I was even like, actually, that was something I had written down to, mm-hmm. like the leaven of the Pharisees. I was even thinking of religion and legalism. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, I have a couple different um, friends that like one's a new believer and it was interesting She's been a believer for a little while, but all of a sudden in conversation this week, it kind of just uh, slipped out that she's still thinking, like, I might lose my salvation. So people oh. still kind of, that, that's an easy leaven. And, and another, another um, friend, too, thinking the same thing, like, well, I, I didn't pray enough. And it's like, wait a minute. Mm. And so just realizing, like, We're you know, that's still, grace. yeah, but that's something that's really pervasive, that yeah. leaven of works and leaven of performance, and I have to reach God somehow. And so it's cool to be able to encourage and point people back to, no, it's done. Mm -hmm. Remember that. It is done, completed. Jesus did it for you. Okay, so here we're dealing with a deficit. They've forgotten bread. Now, Jesus has just said to them, again, it's not about you, Mm -hmm. right? Look what I've done, right? And so um, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware thinking it's about works or it's about performance or how you look on the outside, right? Because Jesus desires truth in the inward parts. And what do the disciples do? They make it all about religion. They make it all about what they've done. We forgot the bread. And you know, when you make it about yourself, then you blame others. You know, and I, I really think that what you've got, when they're really about each other, it's like, Peter, you forgot that bread. And he's like, I didn't forget that bread. That was James. I forgot the bread. And, and, you know, Andrew's like, could we all just get along? You just see that in Andrew. But you've got this, you know, that's what happens. When it becomes about works, it's, there's always someone to blame. And in Galatians, 
because they'd made it about works. Paul said, when you bite and devour one another, beware. Because you're going to be, except when you bite and, can't remember, then beware lest you're be devoured by one another. So this criticism, this um, condemnation, this comparison all comes because we make it about works and about performance. And so we've got to keep it about, and what does Jesus do? He leads them back to, it's about me. Yeah, look, look what, what I I've did. done. Yep. You know, I don't care about your deficits. Right. I care about filling need in mm -hmm. you. And so one other thing that I want to say is this morning I was reading um, Hebrews. And I was reading in Hebrews about how we have, uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, how we have bold entrance. Mm. You know, so let us yeah. draw near yeah. in full assurance, boldly to the throne of God. And as I was thinking about that, I was, I had some attitudes in my heart that I knew were wrong. You know how you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit? You're like, oh, I knew in my heart when Brian told me something, I reacted wrongly. Outwardly, I reacted such, like such a godly woman. <laughs> so beautifully, so right. But yeah, Brian just was like, wow, look at my wife. She's so sweet. And inside, I'm like, <laughs> and I was like, Lord, you and I need a walk. And you and I need to talk. And I just, and I want to thank you for this bold entrance. Because I'm not coming into your throne perfect. I'm coming into your throne to be perfected. And I don't like this attitude in me. And I know this attitude is bad. But I can't fix it. And I want it fixed so desperately. I don't want to be like this. I want to be like the person I pretended to be <laughs> when I heard it. I want to be the nice Cheryl. And I want evil Cheryl to be murdered by your spirit. I want to put her to death, which we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah. And I just see too, like that's how he's so gentle and compassionate mm -hmm. and just leading. He knows that we're dust, even like he knows that the disciples are dust and he just keeps teaching them. It's not about you and, and keeps correcting yeah. those things. And it's not even, like you said before, and we're going to see this, I think, a little further on too. It's not even just about the physical thing. Like mm -hmm. I took care of the bread. I did all of that provision. Yeah. There's a deeper lesson here, right. you know, so. There's a great book by Tim Keller called Self-Forgetfulness. It's one of the shortest books ever. You can get it, it on Kindle for $2, actually. Well, it's so, so good. Because, you know, the Lord was speaking to my heart today. Because the Christian life is not about thinking you're less than everybody else. Mm -hmm. It's not about thinking you're less, or I don't measure up. It's not about that. Mm. It's about leveling. Like, it's about loving your neighbor as yourself. Not loving your neighbor more than yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But loving your neighbor as yourself, it's about leveling the field. Mm -hmm. We're all in this together. You're my sister. We all have problems. You yeah, know? yeah. Seriously. We're all on the same level. Mm -hmm. So when we come to Jesus, whenever I start making it about me yeah. and what I'm bringing and what I'm doing, I need a heart check. That's my lesson. That's my takeaway. I need a heart check. Yeah. And again, it's not about thinking less about ourselves. It's about not really thinking about ourselves. At all, yeah. You know? <laughs> it's about forgetting about ourselves. Like, oh, have you ever, like, just forgotten about yourself because you were having so much fun? And, you know, like... Those rare moments. Like, wow. there's times that you're like, I must look absolutely stupid right now. But I'm having so much fun, yeah. I don't care. Yeah. I don't have my makeup on. I don't have my, but I am having such a blast right now. Like I have these shoes that I'm walking in that look like hospital shoes. And they're really embarrassing to Brian, but I don't care. <laughs> they're really comfortable. And it's like this, like self-forgetfulness. Right. I love that. dancing before the ark. Yes. Like, woo, I don't care. I'll be undignified because I'm yes. not even thinking about myself. Yes. Yeah. And I think we're more loving towards others when our focus isn't on ourselves. Oh, and it frees yeah. us to love others and fully. It, brings us, it makes us more inclusive. Mm -hmm. Like, come exactly. on in, forget about yourself, and have a really good time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I used to teach Sunday school. And um, it's like, I would call it Sully Songs with Cheryl. And we would do, and I would do all the motions. I'm the Sunday school teacher. If you don't do the motions, the kids aren't going to do it. And, you know, on Sunday mornings with Kayla, man, yeah. doing yeah. the motions, you can see who's got pride and who doesn't have pride. Yeah. Who's just forgetting about themselves and just like, you know, you know, my heart is, my heart beats for you, you know? And I just think, I used to do that as a pride test. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like, am I willing to just do the motions? Just, you know, and I can see with the little kids, who's too cool to do the motions? And who's willing just to give all to Jesus? And it's that self-threshold. That's probably oh. the cutoff. Of, yeah. yeah oh, we're, we're cool now. My friends <laughs> and I, we decided that we were going to continue to do the motions in junior high just because it was so different than anybody else. Good. <laughs> Did you want to share anything before we move on to the next day, No, Jess? I think we need okay. to probably go Let's to, move yeah. on. Okay, so Jasmine, do you mind reading Mark 8, 22 through 26? We're on day 40. Yes. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. There we are again. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his own house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Okay, so we see here, Jesus' treatment of this man was different than the last one. Mm. Do you have any thoughts or comments on this? Well, let's talk about the similarities. Okay. Yeah. The similarities is, um, well, one, I love this because it says he took him by the hand. Mm-hmm. And he leads him out of town. So leading out of town. And then again, we've got the spit, <laughs> which is the DNA of Jesus. And he, and he mixes it with, um, he, he places that on his eyes. And I'm wondering if, if that spit is actually recreating something mm-hmm. in this man's eyes. In John chapter 9 in Jerusalem, not here, you have another man who's healed. And there Jesus mixes the spit with the dirt. Mm. And I think about how the first man was made out of the dirt. But now you've got the DNA of of God mixing in Mm. and this healing that's going on. And so um, I love that. No, I sorry, this I don't know why I didn't write this down. This just reminded me of a missionary story. So here we go, folks. Uh, Marilyn Laszlo, um, she was a missionary. She's still will alive. Be coming up. She will be, yes. Little plug there on the podcast. We'll do her eventually. She'll probably get there in December. So yeah, I'm not sure when we get there. But yeah, so she was a, a Wycliffe missionary in New Guinea. And there was the tribe that she was ministering in and bringing the gospel to, because as you probably know, Wycliffe translators go into a unreached people group put the language in a written form and then bring the, you know, translate the Bible and that sort of a thing. And so uh, the witch doctors in that tribe, they called them spitters because they would go and chew roots and eat them up and then, you know, try to spit them into people's wounds to heal them. There was like a whole ceremonial process. And so when she was translating the Bible, these people were so resistant, they didn't want anything to do with her until she got to translating these parts where Jesus spit And when they read that, that Jesus healed people by spitting, they were like, oh my gosh, Jesus is the greatest spitter who ever lived. We worship him. They all got saved. It was just this awesome. And so I always love the fact that, you know, we try to think about like, why did Jesus do that? And, you know, all that. And I just like to think personally, like maybe Jesus, because he was God, knew, you know what? In a couple thousand years, there's going to be a tribe of people that spit to heal, supposedly, or think that they can. And I'm going to show them the superiority that I am the greatest spitter. Especially and so they, today, yeah. with us having all of our shields to protect us from everyone. Yeah, that's right. Spit is healing everyone. Yeah. No, but you know what? I think of like you said, the magnitude and the um, multifaceted reasons that oh my Jesus goodness. does. Yes. And we're always like you yeah. said, in our little narrow minds that are finite, mm. that only understand really our generation. That's one of the reasons I don't like higher criticism. That which came out yes. of Germany. Oh yeah. Um, uh, you know, in the 1800s, because they're, as um, C.S. Lewis put, they're chronological snobs. Yes. And they didn't live in that culture. Mm-hmm. And so you're taking a, you know, a 20th century perspective yeah. and putting it on an ancient culture yeah. without understanding it. And Jesus speaks to the culture too. Mm-hmm. Yes. He works in every culture. So I really like this. Speaking of culture, this was interesting here, how he led the man away. And um, they're in Bethsaida. And just in Matthew 11, Jesus had pronounced woes on Bethsaida. So like he, Bethsaida had kind of rejected Jesus, but yet he still had compassion on this man that was brought to him. But he knew that they were like rejecting of him. So he pulls him away and takes him away to, you know, a separate place to do this work of healing, which, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Even though Bethsaida was indifferent toward Jesus, he wasn't indifferent toward the need of this one man. Okay, and this is the only time that Jesus asks someone 
-hmm. Did you get healed? Mm -hmm. How are you doing? In other words, this is intentional. And that's yeah. one thing when you come yeah. to the Word of God, you got to remember everything's intentional. Mm -hmm. And so that Jesus asks him, because sometimes healing's a process. Mm -hmm. We want instantaneous, but sometimes it's a process um, with the Lord. And sometimes, you know, he uses paramedics and he uses yeah. doctors. Yeah. Sometimes it's a process. Mm -hmm. And we're always thinking, well, why isn't instant? And I know people who have actually been dismayed by this story. Like, why didn't Jesus just do it mm. all in just one fell swoop, you know? And you're like, you know, why do you want him to do it in one fell swoop? Why is that so important to you? Why can't it be a process? But it's interesting that they will not let this man go until he sees all things clearly. Mm, that's good. Mm -hmm. You know, he stays with yeah. him through the process mm -hmm. until he sees all things clearly. And I, I, it reminds me of the children of Israel. I was just going to say that. Okay, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, just it reminded me of studying through Genesis. And something we learned last year was how God is progressively revealing himself to us. Yeah. That he shows us a little bit, like he knows what we can handle. We can't, like we couldn't handle the full glory of the Lord. We need to have like, you know, his part of it covered. And we need to just piece by piece. Mm -hmm. And same with this. It's like he wants us to see clearly. That's the goal. But he wants to just do it piece by piece as we can handle it. Yeah. And also, what, what, I, what I meant by the exodus, though, is that the Lord didn't say, like, the objective was not so much getting into the, the promised land, but the objective was to know God. Mm -hmm. And therefore, to know God in the promised land. Yes. And he didn't leave them. He wanted a tabernacle with them because he was in the wilderness. You know, they were stalled for 40 years, but so was God. Mm -hmm. And he stalled with them. And mm -hmm. as you said, he didn't take them beyond what they were ready for. And some right. people were never ready for the promised land. Yeah. But the children who saw the miracles of the Lord, they were ready for the promised mm -hmm. land. Uh, one just point of, I think we've kind of touched on this before, but I think just because we keep seeing Jesus say, don't tell anyone, was it basically yeah. because... My time has not yet come. I was no. reading. I think you're okay. No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think it's because he didn't want a spectacle. Right. That he didn't want to be known as a healer, but a savior. Okay. Yeah. And I think he wanted people to come to him um, to hear his word, mm -hmm. to find out about him, and right. not to label him or put right. him in the category of healer. Yeah. Because already they were putting him. We're going to get to that, right? Yeah. I think it's our next story, right? Who do men say I am? Yeah. So let's save it for that, okay. and then we'll get that's to good. it. No, I, I just wanted to, because that comes up a lot, just to clarify yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Because that's a really good thing to bring up. Are you guys ready to move on to the next day? Or? I'm so ready. Okay. It, day 41, girl. Cheryl, would you please read Mark 8, 27 through 33. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. That's going to be important. And on the road, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Jesus answered him, you are the Messiah. <laughs> yes, Peter answered them. Thank you. You are the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and rise. Okay, let me do that again. To suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples... He rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but about human concerns. Lot here. So the popular opinions about who Jesus was is either John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the, pri the prophets. I want to talk about the location just for a okay. second. Caesarea Philippi. If you go there in Israel today, you'll find out that it was, um, and I see Susan, who was in Israel with us, it was a pantheon of, of mm -hmm. temples to other gods. Mm -hmm. So you've got a temple actually to Pan, and you've got mm -hmm. these temples to these other gods, and there actually at one point was human sacrifices there. And now it's become kind of a, a shrine uh, to Caesar, so hence Caesarea, t 
to, um, um, so you've got this shrine and you've got all these. So Jesus is in a Gentile town and there's all these shrines to other gods and people have their favorite God. Like which God do they need? Which God will do the best for me? So there's all these different shrines that they even thought that he was John the Baptist or Elijah or a prophet, like considering it was no, a they're Jewish place. They're Jewish. Mm. So they're talking about the Jewish consensus. They're okay. not talking about the Gentile consensus. Mm. But Jesus is asking the question in juxtaposition to all these shrines. Mm. See all these other gods? Mm-hmm. Who do men say that I am? Yeah. And they're like, well, they're, they're not equating you as a God. Do you realize that none of these are a God? Mm-hmm. And here the Romans at least mm-hmm. are equating their gods with gods, but they're not even giving Jesus mm-hmm. uh, a God-like um, mm-hmm. status. They're saying, man, John the Baptist, yeah. you might be like John the Baptist, uh, you, you know, and you're one of the great prophets. Uh, you might be Elijah. Elijah, so you're just a prophet or one of the prophets. You're a prophet. That's what Mm -hmm. people think. They think you're a prophet. You're you're a healer. And the the healing is only attributed to prophets. Now, John the Baptist did not heal. And Elijah and Elisha are the only ones um, that you have in the Old Testament that heal, with the exception of maybe Miriam and Moses. Mm -hmm. But you don't have healing from any other prophet. But you've got Elijah and Elisha, so that's like, well, the healing. So people are trying to figure it out because, you know. And actually, in that context, how much more shocking is what mm-hmm. is it what Jesus says? Because Peter comes up, you're the Christ. Like, oh, yeah, you are the Messiah. And then he's like, okay, and then I'm going to die. And it was like, wait a minute. Yes. If you're God, like, what, yeah. how is that, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with what God would do. Mm-hmm. It seems just so. And what's interesting, contrary. too, is on the coin, the Roman coin, Caesar was called son of God. Mm on the Roman coin. And here we are, we're in the shrine to Caesar. Mm. And he says to Peter, who do you say I am? So again, it, you know what? It, it doesn't matter what the consensus is. Yeah. It doesn't matter what yeah. the majority, the majority's never gonna get it. No. It's always gonna be the remnant that gets it. Yeah. And it's about individually, again, going back to relationship, who am I to you? Mm. Who am I to you? And. Then Peter says, and in, in Matthew, he gives a fuller picture, right. probably because he was there. He mm-hmm. says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Mm-hmm. So you are the true Son of God, not Caesar. Not Caesar. Yeah. You are the true Son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. Mm-hmm. You're, the, you're the God. Yeah. You're God, a Son of God. Mm-hmm. You're God. And these Caesars and these other gods, they're not God, you're God. And that's why he would say, you know what? Flesh and blood has not shown this to you in Matthew. I'm going to Matthew now. But my heavenly father, and that's again why Jesus said, no one can come to me except the spirit or the father draw him. So Jesus doesn't want the majority of people. He even says things that are so off-putting, like unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He says things that are off-putting because he's not after the majority. Mm-hmm. He's after the minority. He's after the heart that's tender and that will receive and walk with him and say, you're Lord and I'm not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then here, like you were saying, he starts revealing that he's going to be this suffering savior. So what is he revealing about himself? Well, I, I, what stood out to me in that was must, you know, yes. I must, these things yes. have to happen yes. because they were all prophesied I have to do this, you guys. I mean, and they obviously they had a preconceived notion. And again, that I think that that just is brought home by the fact that Peter just had this revelatory moment, like, you're God. And then he's like, cool. Now let me tell you what's going to happen to me. Uh And so no wonder Peter rebukes him like, no, Lord, that can't be it. But here's something too, part of Mm. the rebuke. He says, the elders, the scribes, the religious, the chief priests, the people that you've been trusting in before I came along. Mm -hmm. This whole religious community, you're thinking if anyone's gonna get their eyes open and see it, it's gonna be this religious community. Yes, they've read the scriptures, they should know. They should know. And so I think Peter is just like, 
no, 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 <laughs> this can't be, right. this is not the right way. And I think sometimes in the circumstances of our lives, mm-hmm. aren't we tempted to go, no, 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 mm-hmm. no, 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 this is not the right way. Mm-hmm. This is not the right way. Yep. It shouldn't be done. And we think that there's no purpose in suffering. How can you right. use suffering for your glory? Right. How can you use the hurt and the hard places yes. of our lives for your glory? No, 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 mm-hmm. this can't be the right way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, shouldn't all these people come on board and shouldn't it be done this way? And I think, again, we're at the place where Jesus is Lord and not the genie in the bottle. Yeah. And okay. Peter now, what's he doing? He's trying yep. to, to, right, to uh, put his way, even to the point of, I, I put hubris, even to the point of rebuking Jesus. I mean, seriously, I think it goes back to that he had this image of who Jesus was going to come and be, that he was going to be like his superhero, that he was going to be that reigning king that would defeat the the evil world leaders and um, rule and reign like a superhero. And Mm -hmm. remember, the disciples want Israel's nationality. They're Mm -hmm. patriots. Mm -hmm. They are in their hearts. They are so patriots. They are like, make Israel great again. Mm -hmm. You know, no offense, no. (laughs) But that's where they're at. That's their, even to the place where... Where when in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus returns and he's, you know, alive and he's glorious, they said, are you going to restore nationality to Israel now? Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know what? It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has put in your hands, but you shall receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. In other words, Mm -hmm. your concentration is in the wrong place. Right. Your concentration needs to be getting as much of the spirit of the living God in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And not about these outward things, mm-hmm. but about getting the spirit of God in you. So he says to Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. Yes. This is the very phrase, you're probably going to say that, that Go is ahead. used in Matthew. Mm-hmm. When Jesus rebukes Satan, mm-hmm. he says, get behind me, Satan. Mm-hmm. And he does it because he says, because the Bible says you shall worship the Lord. Mm. alone and him only shall you serve. Yeah. We're going to go over. We're sorry. But, um, <laughs> and, and you're welcome There's to so leave any time. There is. Um, sorry, just going back on the suffering thing and how that mm-hmm. is not what we would think. Um, but that is the path to glory. Just those oxymorons of the Christian life. Pressed yeah. but not crushed. Persecuted, not for, you know, mm-hmm. abandoned. Yeah. I was thinking of, uh, even Elizabeth Elliot said, the hour of glory is the hour of suffering when it's seen from heaven's side. Mm-hmm. And so I love that. Like, that's the hour, the moment of glory. When you that's look so at good. it, not from the human point of view, like he's telling Peter that he's doing, yeah. but looking from the eternal view. And you know, if we realize that our suffering, past, yeah. present, future, is working for us a far greater weight of yes. glory. yes. That, you know, you're not less than because you suffered. Mm. But when you get to heaven, because the least are the greatest. Yes. When you get to heaven and you see that all the things that you have been through, all the things that men did to you or, or you know, people did to you that were cruel and awful and terrible, all of that, you, you're going to see like this huge thing of glory from God, this yeah. individual gift so that God doesn't even tell us what it is because it's so amazing. Yeah. That when you get to heaven, you're not going to be like, but I have to suffer. Mm-hmm. You're going to be like, oh my, this is amazing. It's yep. like your own private Disneyland. You're going to be like, yes, this is so amazing. Yeah. Wearsby has this thing too where he says Satan's philosophy is glory without suffering. And mm. Christ's philosophy or God's philosophy is um, transforming suffering into glory. Mm-hmm. And so God, like exactly. you said, turns suffering into glory. That's so like what a hope we have. Like straw into gold with yes. Ra- Ra- um, Rapunzel. You, can we move on Rapunzel. to the last one? No, that was Ra- no. no, it was, was Rumpelstiltskin was the, I don't think we're ever given the princess's name. I know, you know why? Because it never years? really happened. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> we're almost there. Anyways. So we're going to do the last little section, Mark 8, 34 through 38. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adultery and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
Yeah. If you're embarrassed about Jesus, if he's too low and you're too good for Jesus, he's too good for you. Mm-hmm. And time to come. That word shame is such a sobering word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You because, know? Because it would have, in that time and context, been kind of shameful. Like, oh, my Messiah just got crucified as a criminal. I mean, you know, there's so much about it that would yeah. have felt like, do I want to associate with Jesus? Look what just happened. He just got arrested. Like, Yeah. Well, and I think yeah. we forget that the cross was an emblem of torture mm-hmm. and death, and it was for criminals. And like, I think in just our culture, we like wear crosses around our necks and we forget yeah. we that it was. It. Yeah. And it was not, it was not outlawed until Constantine. It was still in force until Constantine became the emperor. But what's in, which was in the... Um, 300s. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. You're close enough. Yes. Yeah. Um, but what, what is interesting is I've been reading um, in the book Dominion. He's talking, and he's not even a, even a Christian, and his name is Tom Holland. But he talks about how Christianity and this act by Jesus Christ and the gospel that proclaims it mm-hmm. changed the whole world forever has changed uh, the way we think and even our values, even non-Christian values. Because non-Christians will talk about love and they'll talk about equality with your fellow man. Mm-hmm. And they don't have a basis for it. Mm-hmm. But we do. That, the, that they're still, what they're talking from, they could not say and espouse what they say if it wasn't for the cross of Christ that brought in a whole new value system to man. And oh I goodness. just wrote a um, paper on love. And when I was writing this paper on love, it was so fascinating to me to look at the ancient culture. And there's an emperor who came after Constantine named Julianus. And he was just talking about how he hated Christianity because Christianity um, embraced mercy. Mm-hmm. And, and he hated mercy. He wanted people to get the vengeance and all that they deserved. And he hated mercy. Yeah. And you probably know that from your no, no. History. I was just going to say the, the like the ancients. Everybody always thinks of the ancient Greeks and Romans as so sophisticated, but they were utilitarian. It's like we don't, you know, don't show mercy unless somebody has done something for you. There's no point in doing something for them, and we should just abandon and, those and that sex, you know, are not useful. And sex was exploitive. Yeah, it never was thinking about the other person. It was always yep. exploitive. It was, yeah, it was, it was always for, for a purpose. Yeah, it was always to either have children, you know, uh, you know, that you could call by your name, uh, to have slaves. Yeah. The masters would uh, do this so they could have good slaves mm-hmm. or um, ones that they could own forever or they would um, do it just purely just for, for their pleasure. pleasure. Yeah. And it was always exploitive. Mm-hmm. So when you've got Jesus coming in and saying, think about others, mm-hmm. and you know, it's not to be this way. And yeah. one wife prohibition, oh my goodness. Yeah. So these, these kind of things, when Jesus is saying these, these are going against the grain of the culture so much. But Jesus calls us all to a cruciform life. Mm-hmm. And this idea of cruciform, and I was, I was reading this book, and it was talking about the cruciform life, that, that the emblem of the cross is not just now an emblem of love, of suffering turned to glory, of suffering creating salvation, but it also speaks of how we're to be. We're to, like that, um, the beam that moves vertically is to be about our absolute submission to God the Father. Mm-hmm. Our love for God, as it is in the law, Romans chapter 13, that all the law is summed up in this, uh, that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. So what you've got is you've got this, this upper beam, and you see that the cross was even in the law because the cross is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus did it according to Philippians chapter 2, unto death. But then to love our neighbors as ourselves, which is the cross beam, which Jesus on the cross takes in the whole world. He's obeying the Father, but he's also loving and saving the whole world. So our lives are to look like a cross. And our lives are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And our neighbor as ourselves. And it's like, oh my goodness. And I wonder if that's not really what Jesus is saying when he says, take up your cross. Yeah. If maybe he is saying, do what I'm doing. Love the Father with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And it's going to cost you. There is never, like you said, or you said, I don't remember, any glory without a cross. There's, there's never a victory without a cross. You know, the cross costs 
It is costly. It, it's it's going to mean suffering. It's going to mean hurt. You know, and I love that um, scripture in Isaiah that when you go through the the fire and when you go through the flood. You know, recently somebody was so angry at Brian um, over something he said, and she said Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could be sheep to the slaughter. And you're like. Oh, you never got the gospel. Mm. <laughs> you never understood the gospel because Paul said, yeah, all who are, live godly yeah. lives will suffer persecution. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's going to be persecution. You know, I think that's one of the advantages of being a Christian and going to public school, probably yeah. for you too. Yeah. Because when, you know, I stood out, I'm a Jesus yeah. lover. Mm -hmm. And there was persecution. Yeah. Yeah. There was, but the very teacher who persecuted me the most sent me a message that he had gotten saved because of, of, that, of what I said in that sophomore class about heaven. And when he found out he was dying of cancer and he's in heaven now, he turned because of the hope of heaven and gave his life to Jesus Christ. There will be suffering. No, and that's the, that's the cool thing that comes out of it, though, like John 12, 24. If that grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it produces much grain. And so as you live that cross life, there's so but much fruit. But who else puts a value on suffering? Yeah. yeah. Who else puts a value on suffering? You're Jesus teaching us it's a daily choice. This yeah. is a daily thing of taking up our cross. And like how he had the disciples sacrifice their bread and he taught them that our sacrifices are safe with him. Mm -hmm. That was something we just saw. And now we're seeing again that this sacrifice, this daily cross is, is safe with him. Our sacrifices that we make on a daily basis, because if we try to save our own life, we're going to lose it. So he's re-emphasizing that point. Yeah. And again, getting back to it, there's a, there's a glory mm -hmm. in it. There's going to be a glory in it. And if we try to save our lives in this world, mm -hmm. if we try to be cool Preserve. with an adulterous and sinful generation to fit in with them mm -hmm. rather than to uh, do the will of the Father, mm -hmm. to do the will of the Lord, if we try mm -hmm. to um, fit in, you know, right now, let's just be honest, my husband's not real popular mm -hmm. <laughs> because he said, let's not sing in church right now just for so no one else gets corona. Because we know of a church in Texas where all 51 people in that church have the coronavirus, including the pastor. Let's preserve life because the Christianity should be about preserving life. And because singing is not the end of worship. Right. Because worship is something we do right now when we deny ourselves and we take up our cross and we follow Jesus. And he is seeking to do the will of God even at a price. I mean, we've had people going, I used to go to Calvary. I'll never go there again because you, you're capitulating to the government. We're capitulating to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And you know, God said in Romans chapter 13 that the government, you know, through Paul is not for our um, demise. And I believe that Governor Newsom is still operating under this, the, 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 um, God and the power of God. Yes, and under mm -hmm. and under uh, under certain certain um, priorities mm -hmm. that are from the cross mm -hmm. to preserve life. Mm -hmm. We get that from the cross, mm -hmm. and I believe as as maybe dysfunctional or maybe some things that he's done wrong. And I'm not saying he's perfect at all, but I believe that Governor Newsom is trying to save lives, mm -hmm. and I believe he deserves our prayers. Mm -hmm and our cooperation well, as much as we can. Jesus is telling us right here how to save our lives. It's to lose our lives for his sake. Yeah. Right. To, and that's to give up our rights. Mm -hmm. To give up our to rights. Give up to our trust rights. him right. by giving up our rights, that he is going to yes. take care of that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Did you guys have anything else to add before we wrap up? But like you said, giving up your food and now giving up your rights. Yes. Right. No, I just one final quote with that. Jim Elliott, he is mm -hmm. no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I just so think that good. sums it all up mm -hmm. like so, so well. I love, yeah, yeah. first thing I thought of. So okay. Yeah. We could go on for a really long time. <laughs> we never run you out of things to talk about, about because God's word is so rich and full and there's so much there for us to glean from it. And today, I think the biggest thing that I came away with is just to trust God that he can turn suffering into glory and to relinquish our rights that we 
take up our cross daily following him and trust him with the things that we walk through and that he is he's going to be faithful and he can do the miraculous, which is so encouraging. So next week, join us again at 1015 on Friday morning. If you'd like to come in person, you're welcome to. You can register online on cccm.com or we've had enough room so you can probably just show up too and we'll let you in. Um, and next week, we're going to be looking at days 43. Our study has grown. For those of you watching it, we have more than five in the sanctuary now. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Remember, we have like eight or nine. Uh, maybe 15. Yeah. But you I can come if you want or keep watching online. Okay, so next week, we're going to be looking at Mark, um, the whole entire chapter of Mark. And that is days 43 through 48. And um, again, if you follow us on social media, on Facebook or Instagram, CCCM Women, we have a couple more giveaways we're going to be doing in the next couple weeks. And as the girls mentioned, they also have a podcast, Women You Should Know, which is fantastic about missionaries and different women that are going to encourage you in your faith. So I'd encourage you to check that out. And if you'd rather listen to this on podcast, we're also pushing these um, discussions that we're having to Cheryl Broderson's podcast. So uh, subscribe to that and you'll get those as they're released. And um, Cheryl, would you like to close us in prayer? I would love to. <laughs> Lord, only you, only you, Lord, can take, Lord, our our deficits and turn them to glory. Lord, only you can feed multitudes from seven loaves. Lord, you can, only you can take the small things we offer to you and turn it to glory. Lord, only you can take suffering and make it worthwhile to give it value, to give it purpose. Lord, we thank you that you are a suffering savior. Lord, that you know what it's like to be rejected. You know what it's like to be mocked. You know what it's like for people to disassociate. You know what it's like to suffer pain and agony and to be abandoned. Lord, you know. You know, and you did it. Lord, you did it in order to save us, but you also did it so you might say, I know, I know, I feel that you might sigh deeply with all that we're going through, that you might speak in and speak over and speak to us and lead and guide us. Lord, we thank you for your great priorities, for your great intentions, and for your greatness. Lord, we pray that you would draw us deeper into relationship with you, and we thank you that you reveal yourself to us in this process, in this time, and through all these circumstances. And Lord, we pray that you would touch our eyes again, that we might see all things clearly in Jesus' name. Amen.